The Quintessential Podcast is proud to announce that we have a new presenting sponsor, Axia Time. Axia Time is a really cool watch company focused on ultra-custom watches to commemorate life's greatest accomplishments. Watches whose styling and quality match the significance of the accomplishments they represent. Axia Time is also partnered with all the leading lacrosse organizations to create all-American timepieces for high school boys and girls and college men and women. Axia Time even creates timepieces for elite awards like the Tuareton and Naismith. If you're interested in a high-quality, Swiss-made timepiece to commemorate a great accomplishment, you need to check out their designs at axiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. If you're celebrating a team achievement, like a state championship, national championship, or even world championship, you have to check out the timepieces they created for teams like Jesuit Dallas, the University of Maryland, and even the USA U21 World Welcome to the Quintessential Podcast presented by Axia Time. Towards the, uh, we are now towards the end of August, PLL in Salt Lake City, Friday, August 25, and Saturday, August 26th, uh, and then the playoffs start the following week on Labor Day at Gillette Stadium for three quarterfinal games. Uh, Athletes Unlimited wrapped up last week uh, in Sparks, Maryland at USA Lacrosse. I got the opportunity to swing by with my daughter, Paul Carcaterra, and his daughter, Pela. Uh, We watched some of the action, uh, and Taylor Moreno joins us. She is the champion, uh, two-time now, Athletes Unlimited champion. Taylor, uh, welcome and congratulations. Thanks so much, Q. Happy to be here. Okay, first things first, I was talking to Joe Beninati yesterday, and he he gave me a number that just blew my mind. He said there's $800,000 split amongst the 57 players in the bonus pool. Is that accurate? I would believe it's pretty accurate, yeah. So the money goes towards, obviously, our salaries um, that we get while we're there. Um, your leaderboard bonus. So based on the numbered position that you end on, that will determine what your bonus is and then quarter and win points. So for every quarter you win and for every game you win, you essentially accumulate more uh, money off of that. So that's where that pool uh, kind of comes from. That's awesome. I mean, how exciting yeah. is that? that? That's crazy. Yeah, no, it's um, it's kind of surreal that like we're even a lot of that amount of money, you'd kind of assume that like, because it's still growing, I don't even know necessarily where it all comes from, but um, it's awesome to know that it's backed by that. Yeah. And they also match what 50% bonus matched to the charity. So, Mm -hmm. so they'll match 50% of, of the, 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 to your cause that that's incredible. That's incredible. That's, that's an awesome, I mean, that makes it just, just, so much worth everyone's while 57 players really 56 there was one injury taylor finished up top it was kind of a a front running you were, you were, did you wear the gold jersey uh, all four weeks yes i did i wore the gold jersey since week 2 of my rookie season i haven't been in any other color besides orange which was week 1 and i was drafted by sam apuzo so <laughs> so sam apuzo comes in second the race got close you had a nice lead going into the final game and it got it got very interesting yes it a did eight- Katie Glynn, uh, Abby Bosco, a defender uh, from Maryland, did really well. Britt Reed, Dempsey Arsenault, Marie McCool, some familiar names. Uh, Lizzie Colson, Ali Mastriani. Uh, looked like she was shrugging off a little injury early in the event. She finished strong. And then Charlotte North came in 17th place. 
what, what was it like? What was it like competing in what was uh, year three for Athletes Unlimited? Yeah, I think for me, once again, just a great opportunity to play lacrosse and have an opportunity for us women to play professionally. So um, that's always the number one thing that I know that we probably all look forward to. Um, and then, yeah, for me, it was it was kind of wild walking into it and, you know, drafting week one and then pretty much drafting all week. So not only was I, you know, trying to focus on keeping my body good and performing at the highest level that I could perform at, um, I was also having to captain a team and draft new teams every week. So it's just a lot of pressure to um, ensure that you have a group of girls who, you know, mesh well together, um, can work through things on the field. Um, but who also can perform. And at the end of the day, like you have to win quarters and you have to win games because um, those points mean a lot. And um, it's hard for some of those guys who don't accumulate as many stat points because they'll rely very, very heavily on those win points. So um, it's crazy to see how like, you know, sometimes maybe like the backup goalies or something like that on some teams who, you know, maybe touch the field for one game or whatnot, we're ending higher than girls that were starting and playing every game. And that's just solely because they were on winning teams. So um, it just goes to show like how important winning games really is. So um, while you want to have, you know, people on your team who play at a really high level, you also need a group of girls that are going to like play well together to the point where you're winning games and, you know, performing well collectively. So that was probably the most challenging thing was kind of having to not only manage what I was doing on the field, but also to manage like the team itself. Um, but otherwise it was definitely a great learning experience and um, certainly a dim different atmosphere year two. Um, Cause I also was my first year not playing college lacrosse like year round. So there was that transition as well of like, what does my training look like? How am I balancing all of that? Um, you know, how rusty am I going to be when I show up on day one? So um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, yeah, I'm going to ask you about that because I lived that. Uh, but I want to go back to the draft. USA Lacrosse Magazine did, did a, a nice piece on draft strategy. But what intrigues me is the human side of this. Uh, you're, you're living with these athletes for four, four weeks in, uh, in hotels. You're eating your meals together. You're training together. Some weeks you're my teammate. As the fans don't know, the, the rosters uh, change every week and you play with three games a week with that team. And so one week I, you may draft a, a, a player. The next week you may bypass that same player. There are some players I'm sure you tried to draft all four weeks. There's other players you probably wanted to avoid drafting all four weeks. There's a human side of this that can be very tricky. Uh, I don't want to use the word drama, but it, it's uh, it's real. You know, it, it's like a draft, and there you are walking down the hallway, and you and you bump into someone that you know. How do you, how do you handle the human side of all this? Yeah, I think um, one of the things we basically acknowledged off the bat when we showed up week one, which is where we had a lot of our orientations and media stuff. Um, was we all kind of acknowledge the fact that like, you know, the mental and emotional side of the draft um, is pretty taxing on a lot of people. And like, you know, as much as it's very stressful and whatnot for us captains, because you kind of want to have a plan when you go into it. And a lot of the times, as soon as pick one goes, like your plan's pretty much out the window. Um, it's also very, you know, stressful for the girls that are sitting in these, these zooms and waiting to get drafted and picked. So 
Um, it definitely is pretty challenging. And I think one of the aspects is like when you have your team drafted and whatnot, um, is just acknowledging to everyone that, you know, there's a reason why they're here. Um, you know, everybody's skill set and um their contribution is very much appreciated and needed. So um, that was one of the things I really tried to do with my team was like helping them all understand that like we're a collective group and it doesn't matter like at what spot you got drafted where. Um, and then once and but at the same time, it's like some people are um, going to think about it a certain way. And um, as a captain, that's where you want to try to manage that. Like as soon as the draft's over, like that's where you hit it. And then you just you you work on then building that team camaraderie and that chemistry um from there but yeah it's definitely at least from my perspective is pretty tough um especially having been a captain for pretty uh, all four weeks this past season it um it definitely gets really really tough and I think the worst part's probably the like auto draft at the end where it's like if each positional player fits perfectly into the rest of the picks that are left then like it's pretty much an auto draft so it's not even like the captain being like okay like I'll pick this person it's just the way that the cards kind of fall um and so like I can understand in some situations where that's like kind of negative uh for some people but at the same time, like I give all of these girls a lot of credit because at the end of the day, everyone shows up, everyone participates. Um, and everyone is just honestly, I think, held together by the fact that we're playing professional lacrosse. Um, and if this is the system that we have to ride with for now, um, then that's the system we're going to ride with, um, which hopefully down the road will be, you know, we would love to have a very similar, you know, kind of format of the PLL where it's like, we actually have like set teams and, you know, maybe we get to travel a little bit more and we're not necessarily like housed in one place. Cause I think the other aspect that a lot of people don't know is that some girls either have to work with their, you know, outside job to have the ability to work hybrid or work remote. Some girls were taking trains into the city on Mondays on our day off to go, you know, go to work in their office. And then some girls are having to weigh this balance of like, do I give up my job for the summer and try to find something else? I think it's very conducive for college coaches because it's like kind of is central, centrally located for a lot of recruiting. So like for them, it's a little bit more streamlined and manageable. Um, but then for some of us, we have like that nine to five. So um, there's a lot of factors that kind of went into, you know, the stress levels and the mental and emotional taxation that kind of happened, uh, throughout the season for a lot of people. I'm, I'm a, a fan of everything they've done so far. Uh, it's, it's first class, uh, the t television product being there in person, it's just an amazing brand of lacrosse. I am in favor of traveling to four sites. Just, you know, I, I just think it would be beneficial to take this to the fans, whether it be Boston, New York, Philly and Baltimore. To me, that would be fairly easy. Uh, and you mentioned like adding every athlete, every woman adds value to the roster. And, and I think I think that's what you, you learned. It, this sounds like it's a, just been a, a fascinating leadership experience. When you think about PLL's got what, 152 players dress every week. Athletes Unlimited is only 56. So you, you're talking about. Yeah, it's, really, it's, really good players. Like yeah, there, there's, I mean, there's one sub per position too. So like yeah. you got people running whole games for the most part, not coming off the field. Yeah. 
Um, and I think a perfect example is like, I haven't, I managed to have Mira Shane on my team for, I think either two or three out of the four weeks. And she's just an awesome, she ended up winning the best teammate of the year award. So like, I saw that. I saw she that. was just like a ball of energy, a ball of positivity. And just, um, even though in my position, it's like kind of tough. Cause like being a captain and being on the field and whatnot, like you definitely feel that little bit of strain. Cause you're like, I want other people to have the same experience. And, and at the same time, you're like, we also want to win and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it definitely gets challenging, but to see the people have, you know, carry themselves in that way and be that positive and like, you know, that exciting. Um, I know a lot of my family members were like, whoever, whoever Mira Shane is and wherever she came from, like that girl needs to just be like the center of like what AU is. And so um, it's just been like super special to have those kind of people in the league. She may be running uh, athletes unlimited lacrosse before we know it. Oh uh, yeah. Happy birthday in advance. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, what, what do you, for fans that don't know, you, you uh, finished up in North Carolina in 2022. I think you five years, I believe, with, with some of your knee injuries. Six. Uh, six. six. Yep. Wow. With COVID and knees. Mm -hmm. USA team last summer, which made for an interesting summer, but now you're like you're in the real world. What, what, what are you doing with yourself? Yep. So I currently work for a biotech supplies company um, called Dabos Inc. They're located um, in Rockville, Maryland. And uh, my, the CEO and my boss, David McNary, he, uh, he had his daughter, Daveney, who actually is going to be a freshman at Kent State. And she and I worked together uh, training wise. And that's kind of how we made the introduction. And um, he's super supportive and uh, huge lax rat. So he actually made the position hybrid remote for me, um, in order for me to be able to still train and still play professionally, um, just to make the process itself a little bit more streamlined, um, and more convenient for me, which I've been super grateful and appreciative of. Um, it's certainly made the experience that I've had not only still playing professionally, but also, you know, entering the real world, um, and working has been, um, pretty nice. And, and yes, yeah, so I work with our sales and our sales department, um, and we essentially help to supply a lot of, you know, labs, um, high level education, colleges, all that kind of stuff with some um, laboratory and biotech supplies. So um, while it was nice that I didn't really have to learn too much about what the equipment is and whatnot, um, I've learned a lot about, you know, product sourcing and, you know, Amazon stuff. So um, it's been pretty cool. Tell me about training. You, you, you go from college. Uh... And, and there's, I, I always think about the different layers. Like when you're in college, when you're a freshman and sophomore, you just want a lot of shots. You, you want a lot of shots. You have to get your skill level up. The speed's faster. By the time you're done in college, you're a little bit potentially maybe burnt or fresh. I don't know. I was a little over the edge. Uh, and then the next challenge was post-college. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, there's a lot better shooters out there in the world. So for, for you, what what is it like training and, uh, and preparing for for this summer, let's say in comparison to past summers of your life. Yep. I think my rookie season, you know, you're pretty much playing lacrosse every single day for nine months out of the year. Um, and we went pretty deep obviously into May and, um, coming off a national championship. I, I literally got home. I put my lacrosse equipment by my back door and I did not touch it until I showed up day one for AU. Um, I knew that my body needed that rest. I knew my mind needed that rest. Um, and as much as like a part of me was like a little anxious, like, should I be training? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? I think, 
Um, it was probably one of the best things I could have done. Um, because for me, when I overtrain myself, I tend to develop pretty bad habits in terms of my technical side of playing. Um, and so to kind of keep myself in that balance, um, I needed that break. And then this year, obviously being, you know, in the real world and working pretty much all the time, um, and not being, in a college athletics atmosphere and not necessarily having people at my disposal to go shoot on me. Cause I mean, I can go do my own stuff, but at the end of the day, like you mentioned, like getting shots is still one of the main priorities for training for goalies. Um, I found myself utilizing um, the people that I had closest to me. So um, I actually date and live with Allie Kennedy, who's a great two-way midfielder has a mean shot. And so her and I um, would go out and train um, during my lunch break, during her lunch break at UVA. And we just go sh uh, show up at a field and take some shots and just, you know, I think it was beneficial for both of us because um, it was just an opportunity for us to get our sticks in our hand and play. And I think, um, I think I was pretty much all I needed was about an hour or so. Um, and we probably did it maybe like once or twice a week, but um, I'm one of those goalies that's, I think a little bit weird. I'm not someone who like wants or needs like 300 shots, um, a day, but, um, if that's, you know, how some people train, that's how some people train. I think I'm just one of those people who likes to get my dosage, dosage of them, um, kind of hone myself back in, get myself like familiar, uh, with, you know, what it feels like to get hit and like all that kind of stuff. Um, but that's kind of like, I don't even know how to describe it. I think I'm a very moderate, uh, trainer when it yeah. comes to that. That, you know, Blaze Rudin in the PLL hardly at this stage in his career really doesn't take very many shots, he, you know, he said, uh, and that works for him. There, again, it's different with your middle school goalie, a high school goalie, a college goalie. Uh, the younger you are, I think the more volume you, you need uh, later on that if you go over a certain saturation level, it actually, as you said, it just it becomes redundant. It becomes the time to make the donuts like you're not mm -hmm. excited you've got to be excited every time you're between the pipes. That's what I found. And so whether, however you can stimulate that, whether it's friends, teammates, pregame, whatever, but anytime you're spending in between the pipes that your, your intensity level wasn't game like, you're kind of wasting your time. Yeah. Uh, and, and so then like, have you found other activities? I, I, I know you're like a, a Kung Fu um, master, uh, uh, in, in, in Taekwondo, are there any other activities that you find, uh, helpful athletically, uh, and mentally and mentally put you, put you in the right place? Yeah. I think one of the, uh, sports that's obviously growing that I picked up playing a decent amount this summer was pickleball. Um, definitely loved playing, you know, closer to the net, working on my reflexes, yep. working on, you know, tracking the ball, watching the spin on the ball. So, um, while it was, you know, at the same time, like super fun. And I wasn't always at the time thinking like, oh, this is probably really good for my training. It was, I think definitely something that, you know, got my feet moving, got my hands moving, you know, helped me work on my hand-eye coordination without me having to put myself in a position where, you know, you're putting your body on the line every time you step in there to go train. Um, and I think that was probably one of the things that I utilized most this summer, especially, uh, before going to the league. So, um, I definitely say probably that I haven't otherwise done much, um, still like getting into the swing of like 
the summertime work schedule and all that kind of stuff and moving around. Um, it was pretty chaotic summer. Um, but otherwise, yeah. Pick a ball to activate your eyes, your hands, your feet, uh, mm -hmm. and then to maintain focus, you know, it can be tiring to, it can be, oh, people, yeah. I don't think people really understand, uh, standing in a goal for two hours during a game, how emotionally tiring and draining that can be, uh, yeah. regardless. Okay. So I suited up for the first time in like 20 years, uh, Clark posted the video. I, I didn't really have the full padding on, but it was very interesting. Uh, it was mostly women shooting on me, young, uh, high school girls, really good ones. Pela, his daughter, uh, Courtney Connor Martinez, her daughter, who's a, a rising ninth grade superstar. And so the thing that hit me was the difference between men's and women's is how close in the women's game these shooters are on top of you. Like there's, and like I look at the eight yard, the, the arc, the eight meter arc, and I'm like, okay, anything outside of that, I'm pretty good. But they just don't shoot. No one shoots from outside the arc very often. And so they carry in to four yards, three yards, two yards, six yards. And so it's it's uh, it's a little bit different game. And so I, I found that that it really challenges you that way. Uh, I think mistakes are punished. Like it's, it's a less uh, forgiving type of goaltending. Yep. Yeah, there's definitely a couple where like you'll get a piece or like a big chunk of it and it still goes in and you're like, I like, I want that one back. Um, it definitely forces you to really have to um, move your feet a little bit more with your body because you do have to cover a lot more space in terms of, you know, those shots coming in, they're dragging you to a certain angle. And then like, you're now having to make up that space. So you just kind of moved away from. So um, I think that's one aspect um, of it. It's pretty funny how like you'll watch some guy goalies and they have like a very, uh, small number of steps in their arc. So like they pretty much like play the middle, they'll play, you know, one foot on the pipe, three. one foot yeah. almost in the middle. They, they, have, they have like that yeah. three spot. There's um, three spots or, or five spots. Most of the goalies right. and the, t the tall guys are going with three. Uh, someone my size is, is, is a five. Or like that know, really wide spot. stance too. in that three. So it's like, cause they're covering pretty much a decent amount of space from far out. Whereas if someone were to come in and you played those three angles and you were within, you know, those, that two yards, four yards space, it's like, it's pretty tough. Um, and so, uh, it definitely changes the way you train the, the way that you, you know, I mean, every goalie is unique in that they never really stand this, like no two goalies stand the same. They can stand similarly, but like, it's pretty much everyone's very, very individual in, in how their technique is used and um, what their skill set is. So yeah, it's, it's just a different game. And I think for me, one of the things that I really fed off of, especially my rookie season was uh, the way that I track the ball is as soon as that ball crosses the restraining line, like my eyes are honed in on it. I'll call the ball position and pretty much, but it's, it's almost like this, trance that my mind goes in where it's just all I see is the ball regardless of where it is on the field if it's even if it's like someone not looking like they're gonna go or shoot like my eyes are honed in on there so for me the two-point shots um my rookie season were like moving at me in slow motion um and I think I've gotten a little bit better at understanding some people's tendencies and um just being a better ball tracker especially when it comes closer in but um but yeah it's definitely a, a different uh 
technical strategy when it comes to not only that, but the ball sitting so much differently in a girl's stick than yeah. it does a guy's stick too. Yeah, I, I didn't mind that being like super old it, when we played in the 80s and the 90s, the pocket depth was similar to what the women use right now, yeah. quite honest, quite honestly. So uh, so so that wasn't uh, an issue. I, I, who taught you how to play goalie? Was it someone in Huntington? Was it uh, I'm from Limbrook. You're from Huntington. Our, the, the, our sponsor, actually, from Axia time, John Canaris, was a great goalie at Baldwin High School uh, and an outstanding high school wrestler. My first varsity game was against John uh, Limbrook Baldwin. But did, was it someone back in Huntington or was it someone uh, through your club who, who taught you to play? Yeah. So um, my PAL town team uh, was kind of where it yeah. started. We were all obviously taking rotations, playing, um, you know, field and then goalie. And when it was my turn to kind of volunteer and be like, okay, like I'll play goalie for this game. Um, I got suited up and my coach, Bob DeSimone, um, Bob, yeah. he, uh, he was pretty much the guy who was like, all right, I'm going to shoot some on you. I'm going to give you a little technical stuff, but like, we'll see how this goes. And uh, I think once I fell in love with the position, he was like, all right, like I'll teach you some more stuff. Um, and he was kind of like the guy who gave me the foundation of like how I play now. And um, yeah. he essentially enticed me to use my athleticism while I'm in the cage. Um, so like, he was fine with me running out of the crease for a ground ball or like stuff like that. Um, and then when I got to my club team elevate, I was actually fortunate to still have him on my staff on like our coaching staff. Um, so, you know, when we were traveling and playing, he was also still working with me as long, uh, as well as our club director, Dave Katowski. So, um, those two guys pretty much kind of built the foundation of what I had. And then, um, Phil Barnes kind of took it and ran with it. And that's kind of, I think, where I'm at now is, is definitely a product of everything that Phil Barnes has kind of worked with and taught me. Dave Katowski, I believe is a peer of mine, Shamanad and maybe Brown. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Good man. He was a good wrestler in high school. So how I, I played midfield uh, through eighth grade, uh, splitting time, goalie, midfield, goalie, midfield through eighth grade, and then, then really specialized in goaltending in high school. But did you play midfield, pretty, pretty deep or, or did you make the switch in like in middle school? Yeah. So I was definitely a midfielder off the bat. And then, um, I think it was probably in like fifth or sixth grade was when I started playing halves. Um, yeah. and then around my middle school years was when I fully committed to like training and just staying as a goalkeeper. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it kind of almost like fell into my lap because the girl that I was kind of splitting with decided she was like, nah, I don't want to play goalie anymore. So it was pretty much then just me. So I kind of just took the opportunity and ran with it. I, you know, I think that's really beneficial for young goalies to get out there and, and play and understand what the shooters are looking at and, and just to run around, to have fun, to learn the different skills, to get a feel for the game. Uh, I, you know, when I watch you play, I see those elements of, of a lacrosse player who happens to be between the pipes. Yeah, no, I, um, I definitely try to utilize just even some of the stupid little athletic stuff that, you know, me and my dad would do, whether it was like, you know, throwing a football in the backyard or stuff like that, like throwing leading passes with a football was essentially where I kind of got my feeling for like throwing lead passes and clears and whatnot. So like having an understanding, I feel like of some of those concepts early on was what continued to build and turn into, you know, a big part of my strategy when I play, um, the athleticism aspect of it too. I, 
I felt when I originally started playing, I was like, as much as like this position's awesome and I love it, I don't necessarily want to be just confined to this crease. Like I want to be able to make plays outside of the crease and I want to have, you know, an opportunity to create maybe more offensive opportunities. So like anytime I could come out and pick off a pass or um, a 50, 50 ball that I knew that I could get to um, I was taking those chances and it was, I was also fortunate enough to have coaches along my journey that like also were very supportive of that. Um, which I think some people are like, no, 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 like stay in the crease, stay in the crease, like just worry about saving the ball. And I think in certain situations, like, yes. Um, and I think for me, some of them were like, um, understanding the moments and the balls and certain, you know, opportunities where I knew for a fact that there was like an 80% chance or higher for me to get it. That's the ones I was going to go for versus kind of taking those risks that were like, Nah, like could be a huge payoff, but at the end of the day, I think you'll be in a better position to try to make the save instead of trying to make a big play outside the crease. The fun police, the fun police will come after you if you're, if you're yes. an aggressive goaltender. The fun police just don't understand that that along with with the the toil, the pain, the pressure that you, you there needs to be an outlet. There needs to be a, a playmaking. Uh, that that's the type of goalie I w- always was, uh, and I and I see that in your game. Your, your high school career was, I don't know how to say this, but it wasn't, uh, you didn't play as much, correct? As, as like, how did you get recruited to North Carolina when, when you weren't like the, the star goalie at Huntington? Yeah, it was, um, it was a tough situation, I think, between obviously being under, you know, older goalkeepers who were also committed to um, D1 colleges. And then just obviously the politics of lacrosse on Long Island, it was, it was, uh, unfortunately kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And once I understood that, like, at the end of the day, this was going to be the place where um, I may not have an impact on the field during a game, but at least in a practice, I can have an impact for my teammates and helping them get better, but also, you know, work on honing in on my training and preparing myself then for the summer. It was kind of like a whole four months of preseason for me to then walk into my club season and be like, all right, I feel really good. Um, I was fortunate enough to be the only goalkeeper on my club team. So I got a lot of time and a lot of exposure. Um, we were a relatively small club, but I played on a team with, uh, a lot of high level lacrosse players from Huntington and Cold Spring Harbor. So like, um, a couple of my teammates, like Katie Riley, Haley Bankston, um, they all went and played at Princeton, Syracuse. So, um, we definitely were a small knit group, um, not as well known, but, um, when we showed up to tournaments, we definitely gave people a run for their money. So, um, I think we drew a lot of attention collectively in that respect. And I know we were at president's cup and we were playing down in Florida and Katrina doubt actually had wandered to our field and saw me play and, um, like ran to, it was towards like the end of my recruiting. So like I had seen a lot of schools already. I had spoken to a lot of college coaches already, um, and she went and had told Phil Barnes about it and he came and, and watched me play and technically the years that goalies get recruited, it's kind of for a lot of schools, they'll do like every other year. So like yeah. my, my class technically was going to be their gap year. So they weren't going to recruit a goalie for that class. Um, and then Phil and Jenny came and watched us uh, play a couple more games at that tournament. And uh, they reached out and they were like, Hey, we're not necessarily looking for a goalie in your class, but if you're open to coming for a visit and looking at campus and potentially considering Carolina as an option, like we would love to have you, um, come here. And, you know, as soon as I got on campus, I fell in love with it. And 
Um, instead of rushing into the commitment though, I definitely like made sure that one, it was the place I wanted to go, but two, I kind of like let my recruiting process go a little bit longer just to make sure that I was evaluating all of my options. But, um, club was definitely the spot where I got the most exposure for myself and where, um, I was recruited from, which, uh, thankfully was the case because if it were for high school, then my career definitely would, would have a different storyline. Yeah, it's amazing to think about those those forks in the road, so to speak. Uh, you're you're a talented artist. What what, what are you working on now, uh, and 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 what uh, impact does does art have on you uh, as as a person and as an athlete? Yeah, I think one of the pieces I'm working on right now is actually a big painting for Jenny. It's going to go in. Uh, think Marie McCool's office. Uh, it's a picture of us from the national championship. Um, I'll definitely have to send you over a picture when it's, when it's done, it's a little overdue, but with the pro season and then moving a little bit more, um, it's been tough to kind of finish it up, but art for me has been something that's been in, in my blood for, since I was born, my mom was an artist. She went to art school. Um, my sister and I both definitely got majority of the art gene. Um, and I think the thing that art has taught me and what about art has mostly translated into like my play is the patience aspect. Um, everything when it comes to art takes time and it takes a lot of practice and you have to work on your craft. And um, sometimes it's also figuring out, you know, different styles of things, um, whether it's, you know, painting or drawing or graphic design and I think for goaltending, it's that unique aspect of how, you know, everyone has a different style. Everyone has, you know, a different pace of play. And I think for me, um, what I've kind of grown into is this aspect of patience when I play. Um, it's funny, like we'll be in practice or we'll be in a game or something like that. And I'll have someone, if I have a save on top of the crease or I have a save after someone faked like three times and I make the save off of it. A lot of the times they'll come up to me and they'll be like, I don't know how you saved that. Like, I was just waiting for you to move, but like you literally didn't move. Um, so I think for me, I've kind of developed that characteristic, um, and skill a little bit more as I've gotten older. Um, it's kind of like a work smarter, not harder kind of, mantra almost um but yeah it's it's very translatable to art in terms of like you know you go and paint something like you want to keep going but you have to go two or three coats so you got to wait for the first coat to dry so it's it's about sitting down looking at what you've done seeing where you can maybe tweak things or what you like about it what you don't like about it and then make the adjustments as you go along to then make your your final masterpiece so um I think that ever changing evolution of like what artwork is and uh, what trends are and whatnot um, has kind of been something that kind of mushes the two aspects of sport and art together for me. And like goaltending, you know, I, I think about artists and writers uh, and musicians, there's a lot more failure that goes into each creation than people realize on the surface. And the same with goaltending, like, if you're going to get good, you got to give up a lot of goals. You're going to give up a lot of goals. Like the longer you play, like there's very few goals. Well, there's another one I gave up. It's like, but it's the same. It's the same. in and in, in with writers, you know, rewriting a sentence, rewriting a paragraph, rewriting a book with musicians, getting the notes right with, with, with your art and, and your drawing. It's, 
seeing something out and, and, and making those adjustments and having the patience to make those adjustments. Exactly. Let's finish this thing up. Uh, what's next? What's next? So are you, you're, you're going to, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to pursue the next team USA and, and, and stay in the game uh, with that's a 2026 or sooner. Yeah, I, um, that is a dream and a goal of mine is to officially make uh, the national team. Um, I think it would be just kind of the cherry on top for me in terms of uh, feeling like I've done a lot of the things that like me as a little kid has, has always dreamed of. Um, I remember like cutting up like folds of U.S. lacrosse magazine of like the U.S. team and like pasting them on my wall and they're still there. Um, and so I'm definitely going to cross my fingers and hope that everything works out. And um, I show up and perform the way that I need to perform in order to make that team when we get back into the swing of everything. Um, but then next steps for me are going to be probably also hopefully training with the box team, uh, the women's box uh, team that they're starting. Um, I think it would be awesome to be, you know, as coach cap says, one of one um, being the first team that the U S puts out for a world cup, um, which I believe is, would be next summer. Um, I believe right before AU um, potentially afterwards, I don't know the exact dates of it, but um that's a challenge. That's, it that's, is. that's, that is a different, that's a different dynamic. It is, it is a different animal for sure. Yeah. And I, and we went to the one uh, training camp that they had in, in Jersey and uh, me and Allie walked away from it. We were like, that was probably one of the hardest things we've done in a very long time. I mean, I've never sweat so much in my whole life. The equipment, the equipment's insane. Yeah, And then at the same time, it's like that, that aspect of like, now you're, you're, you've gone from like field lacrosse where, you know, everything's constantly moving and you as a goalkeeper on your arc is always constantly moving. Whereas like in box, you're almost not, you're like enticed to really not move as much as your body wants you to move. So it was, yeah. uh, it was challenging for sure. To hold a stance for two hours. Uh, oh, my legs were on fire for like three days after. Dylan Ward would be an interesting person to talk to because he he's really the, been the best I've ever seen. There were some old school guys, Larry Quinn, Salacasio did it, but no one's been as good as Dylan in terms of being a premier goalie indoors and outdoors. And it's really a different, it's a different position. Uh, obviously hand-eye coordination angles, you know, there's some similarities, but uh, that'll be fun. That'll test you. You'll, you'll experience some great, uh, some tremendous growth from, from challenging yourself that way. Yeah. So I'm, um, I'm definitely looking forward to obviously the opportunity, but also, like you said, the, the challenge of maybe um, it adding to my play as a field goalkeeper as well, and maybe being able to take the things that I do well as a field field goalkeeper and kind of maybe morph those skills into the box environment. So I'm very, very excited for that and hopefully um, have an opportunity to play for that team as well. Well, Taylor, thank you again. Congratulations for being a two-time champ. Uh, athletes unlimited in year three uh coast to coast with a gold jersey the whole way that's that's unbelievable holding <laughs> on that la that last game you had the big lead and then and then things started to get a little dicey uh right. and you got it done and you got it done so congratulations continued success uh really uh, eager eager to watch this this product uh evolve and and develop going forward because i think it's really special i think it's uh 
awesome opportunity for the players, but for young people to, to watch a player like you after college, remember 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it doesn't really exist. Uh, and so this is really beneficial for the, for the game of women's lacrosse. Well, I really appreciate your time and for having me on. Um, it's it's funny sitting here talking to you and be like, wow, I recognize that voice so much because of all the men's games that I've watched. So um, this was a super cool experience for me. And so I really appreciate uh, you having me. That's it for this week's episode of the Quintessential Podcast. Thank you to our guests. Thanks to our technical director, Dr. Nick Z. I want to thank you for listening. And of course, thanks to our sponsor, Axia Time a watch. What a better gift than a ring. I've got a championship ring. It's collecting dust in a box. I wear watches all the time. Thank you, Axia Time. It's axiatime.com, and we'll see you next week.